I'm Alex Rodriguez. And I'm Jason Kelly. From Bloomberg, this is The Deal. Each week, you're here in conversation with business icons. This show will explore deal-making across sports, media, and entertainment. That is a harsh lesson in business. Sports is not as simple as bringing a bunch of big names together. I didn't want to do another stomp you out speech. It opened up so many more doors. The show is called The The Deal. Deal. Listen to The Deal. Listen to The Deal on Spotify. Why take one vacation with the family when you could take all of them? With Royal Caribbean, you don't just go to the beach. You visit a private island and race down the tallest water slide in North America. You don't just go for a road trip. You ATV and zip line through the jungle. You don't just go somewhere new. You rappel down waterfalls and discover ancient temples. Because this isn't just any vacation. This is all the vacations. Come seek the Royal Caribbean. Ships Registry, Bahamas. Everybody, welcome to our Wednesday edition of the Orange and Brown Talk podcast. Dan Lobby with Mary Kay Cabot and Ashley Bastock. Lance Riceland coming up a little bit later to look back on the Browns' loss to the Patriots and what went wrong. Uh, but as we do every week, we're going to get you started with the week ahead. It is Ravens week. Mary Kay, what are you thinking thinking about as the weekend starts here? Well, I'm thinking about something that I'm writing about a little bit today. And we talked about it a little bit on the Hey MK pod yesterday, and that was uh, you know, Jacoby Brissett, I think is, you know, they're putting him in a position of trying to hit this big explosive play. Uh, he has attempted as many deep ball passes as Josh Allen. He, that's not really the quarterback that I think he is. Um, and then, so when I think about that, I also think of, you know, would there be some way possibly to incorporate Joshua Dobbs into the game plan in some way or fashion. I mean, some kind of a package of plays where you could do some things with him, where he could possibly give you a spark if you need it. I just think they need something, a change up at the quarterback position in some way, whether it be schematically, um, whether it be, again, using some Josh Dobbs occasionally, something's got to give. I just feel like uh, Jacoby is throwing too many interceptions, turning the ball over too much. And I don't know that they're playing to his strengths. Yeah, Ashley, I kind of like the idea of at least, you know, run Josh Dobbs out there, maybe with Kareem Hunt and Nick Chubb, you know, put Amari Cooper out there and at least make the Ravens think a little bit. You know, I don't want Josh Dobbs playing 60 snaps. I don't know if I want him playing 10 <laughs> snaps, but like, Give him something, give give him some sort of, you know, whether it's a set of downs or a goal line package or, you know, it's a little desperate and, you know, Josh Dobbs isn't going to be your savior, but like desperate times here, you're two and four. I was going to say it might be a little desperate, but this team should be desperate right now, given the record. And again, I mean, I said this on the postgame pod the other night, but in the preseason, when we were talking about, you know, how much they should use Josh Dobbs potentially or how they should use Josh Dobbs. I threw out that like, oh, I don't know if you start two and four and things look pretty bleak, <laughs> like why not? And here we are. They're two and four. Um, it's it, And they could be, you know, we've talked about this. They could very well be one and five. They're lucky they beat the Panthers and that their rookie kicker hit a, you know, historic field goal to win that game. Um, 
But I do think, you know, I'm with Mary Kay. It's like you you have nothing left to lose at this point. What I have loved about Josh Dobbs in the time that he's been here is, you know, not only his football IQ, which we, we've heard him talk and, and, you know, obviously the whole he's a literal rocket scientist thing uh, in his off time certainly helps, but he's just more dynamic. And I think Kevin Stefanski does not like predictable or doesn't like unpredictable, I should say. And that's part of why, you know, we've had this debate of is Jacoby Brissett the perfect Stefanski quarterback? Because he is, you know, oftentimes, not currently because of the turnovers, reliable but predictable. I think Josh Jobs maybe has a little something different. He's not going to save your season, but are you just going to do the same thing? It's like, I don't, I don't know, because this thing isn't working right now. Yeah, and Mary Kay, all you need is one, one play, like – all you need is is one time you throw Josh Dobbs out there. Maybe it throws the Ravens off their game just a little. And Kareem Hunt gets open down the field and Dobbs manages to make the throw, right? And you gain 30 yards. That that can change things for you. So I I mean, I don't know. Why not try to come up come up with something to create kind of that one chaotic moment that you can take advantage of? Yeah, and we have been talking about this since training camp, right? Um, because the truth of the matter is, you know, when you don't have a Deshaun Watson out there, you, you know, you just might have to try something a little bit different. And, um, you know, it's not like Jacoby Brissett is, you know, four and two right, right now or three and three. They're two and four. I mean, they are two and four. And this thing is really starting to slip away. And I do think that, um, you know, that, that it can't hurt. Now, while we say that, I think we can all agree. None of us believes that Joshua Dobbs is the savior of the season. None of us even know if he can save a game or contribute in any way, in a meaningful way. We don't know the answer to that. Um, but I think they should have the package available and at least ready to use uh, in the event that you need that spark. Uh, because right now, I think that teams are going to try to seize the moment and be jumping routes. And I think they they see that Jacoby is vulnerable to the pick. And I think they're going to be trying to um, trying to to get their hands on the football. And in the event that you need to sit him down for a minute, maybe that's part of it that you just put uh, Joshua Dobbs in there uh, to, you know, from a benching standpoint, or maybe you do it just from a package standpoint, but either way, I think you need to have him available. Completely out of context here. Cause I have no idea what happened on this play. I'm just looking at pro football reference, <laughs> November 4th, 2018 Pittsburgh at Baltimore, the Steelers won 23, 16, Josh Dobbs threw one pass completed it for 22 yards. And that's all I know. That's all I know about that play. He, he was on the field for one offensive snap and he completed a 22 yard pass. So this, I mean, the Steelers tried this a little bit with Dobbs. Um, I think they did it against the Browns at, at one point. They did. They, they brought they did. Dobbs out. Wasn't it that in the helmet game? Um, I can't, I, yeah, I can't remember exactly when it was, but I, I know I've seen him come out and at least take a snap against the Browns. Yeah. Let me look it up. But yes, I believe it was. Oh, you know what? It was the week. It was actually the week before the game I just referenced. Uh, <laughs> yeah. No, October 28th, 2018, 33-18 uh, when maybe it was mop-up duty. Um, but oh, yes. He, was, came in and he came in and he, he rushed the ball once. So 
I, I know the Steelers tried this. I mean, there was another game where he was four for nine. Um, and again, some of this might've been in relief of, of Ben or something like that, but like they, they, there were times when they kind of ran a little Josh Dobbs package. Yes. Yes, they absolutely did. Wait a minute. Now four out, he completed four out of five attempts in Cleveland. See, Mm, there we go. Yes. I I mean, I did remember that. I did. I did remember that, 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 you know, that. He came in and did a little something. There's so, precedent here. <laughs> All exactly. right. Exactly. Again, like I said, we don't think he's the answer or the savior, but, right. you know, try something. Yes, mm-hmm. exactly. Ashley, what have you got? I'm thinking a lot about this Ravens defense, a lot about how they defended the Browns last season. And that was the team where we really saw them honing in on stopping Nick Chubb. They actually did effectively stop Nick Chubb in that game in Baltimore. I can't remember his exact stats. I'll look that up. But um, they were, that was a game we saw them putting as many as like 10 guys up at the line of scrimmage, just focus on stopping him. But I think I'm also curious because we talked about this a lot last year. I mean, the Ravens defense is more complete than it was when the Browns saw them last year. They have cornerbacks back, you know? Um, so I just think overall, and and on top of that, they have a new defensive coordinator in Mike McDonald. So the Ravens, you know, have kind of gotten off to this weird start as well and had some questionable end of game decisions, but I'm just really curious to see how they go about trying to stop the Browns and given Jacoby Brissett's interceptions and take turnovers lately, if they're going to try to bait him into making some of those longer throws and how they're going to blitz and and do all those things. Because I mean, the Ravens were so blitz heavy last year. um, And I think that's something they maybe wanted to move away from a little bit, or at least disguise those blitzes better, which is what McDonald has done really well um, in his career. But Jacoby Brissett, we've seen it. He doesn't handle that pressure well. So I'm curious to see how they, you know, go after him and what they do to try and stop Nick Chubb on the ground. Yeah, and I, I haven't gone back and rewatched the entire Patriots game, but it was something I went back and took a look at because I was curious um, if the Patriots did something similar. And I feel like the Patriots actually did this to the Browns too last year. Um, and there were certainly some plays early in the game when it was like, a single high safety, maybe 10, 15 yards deep. And then everybody else was within about 10 yards of the line of scrimmage. Some of that is when you come out in three tight end sets, you're sort of inviting that. But um, yeah, I, I am curious if maybe Baltimore kind of takes a page out of the Wink Martindale book from last year and decides to just put a bunch of guys in the box. And again, we're g- just like teams are saying, we're going to run the ball on you until you can stop it. They're going to say, we're going to take away the run until you can prove that you can pass on us. Yeah, just for the record, last year in in Baltimore, Nick Chubb only 16 rushing yards on eight carries. So that was by far his worst game of the year. You know, I mean, the the defense in Baltimore is really struggling this year. Uh, They've been outscored 65 to 20 in the second half of games. Um, You know... They're allowing 5.7 yards per play, which is tied for 11th most in the league. 23.5 points per game, 10th most in the league. Uh, They've got a porous secondary this year. Uh, It's just, it's not what we're used to seeing in a, uh, in a Ravens defense. I mean, it's just not what we're used to seeing. I, I really thought that 
you know, when they got some of their guys back healthy, that they would be really good. But it just has not been the strength of the team. I think there are opportunities here. I really do. I think it's an opportunity uh, for the Browns offense to get back on track. Yeah. And, uh, you know, I, I think it still starts with Nick Chubb and Kareem Hunt, but may, maybe they can kind of get that passing game figured out a little bit um, against this this Ravens defense. Because like you said, Mary Kay, they have not been great uh, against the pass. So I'm thinking, as I think everyone probably in Berea is thinking about Lamar Jackson. Um, he has had a strange year. You know, he was kind of one of the early like MVP front runners for whatever that's worth. But I'm looking at a tweet here from Jamison Hensley, who covers the Ravens. Uh, he's he tweets Lamar Jackson's QBR in the first three quarters this season is the fourth best in the league. In the fourth quarter, it's 29th in the league. And we've seen the Ravens um, really blow some big leads. They did it again on Sunday. I think they were up 10 points in the fourth quarter and they blew that lead to the Giants. By the way, Saquon Barkley slid down at the two yard line. I don't know. Hmm. Maybe Nick Chubb made somebody's teaching tape uh, at, at some point. I still am scared to death of what Lamar Jackson can do to this defense with the way that they've been playing and the way that he just like Lamar is good in structure, but he's great in chaos. And if he gets free and he's able to run around and we've seen how shaky this defense is just in general with staying on guys and covering guys and, you know, we saw what Hunter Henry did to Grant Delpit on Sunday. I'm a little nervous about what Lamar Jackson might do against this defense, because I feel like teams are watching the film of this defense and getting wide eyed and thinking, oh, we can do, you know, we can get right against these guys. And we've seen it, you know, Atlanta figured it out. The Chargers figured it out. New England and Bailey Zappi figured it out. I'm really nervous about what Lamar Jackson can do to this defense. Well, you know, I, I think that, I mean, Lamar has always had some great games against the Browns last year, though. However, we remember they picked him off four times in a loss, a 16, 10, that 16, 10 loss. It still blows my mind uh, that they were able to do that and still lose the football game. Uh, but alas, that is what happened. Uh, but Lamar, I mean, it's, it's gut check time for them too. They're coming off of this loss which as you mentioned they blew another 10 point lead uh you know he's he's got a lot on his plate right now and um you know they certainly don't want to end up three and four after this game and be tied with the browns at three and four um and actually the browns would be ahead by virtue of their division record at that point so this is a very 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 big game for them at home uh, and Lamar, you know, he's capable, he's obviously capable of anything. And this defense is so vulnerable right now, as you mentioned, Dan, to a player like him. Ashley, are you terrified of Lamar Jackson? I'm terrified of Lamar Jackson. <laughs> I mean, yeah, it's like kind of like what Mary Kay was saying. Oh, there might be some opportunities for the Browns against this Ravens defense. Like you said, Dan, I mean, I think it's just as much of an opportunity for Lamar Jackson to get in his groove uh, against a Browns defense that just has, you know, been kind of exploited in every possible way so far by these different appoint uh, opponents and coverage mistakes and run game mistakes. Um, they've really struggled at different points with just about everything. I keep thinking back, like what scares me about Lamar Jackson is that 
a lot of times, like you said, he loves chaos and a play can feel like it's over and then it's not. Like I think of that touchdown last year that he had to Mark Andrews in Baltimore where, I don't know, they were like inside the 20 and it looks like the play's dead. He's running around. He's getting chased by Miles. It looks like it's over. He's back by the 35, just tosses it up and it's a touchdown. Like it's <laughs> it's plays like that that just kind of, I think, exemplify who he is and that's stuff that I can't see this Browns defense just turning around and being able to defend easily on Sunday. Let, let me throw one more, one more thing at you too. Um, just with the, because of the Ravens and we've mentioned these blown leads, double digit blown leads, Miami, Buffalo, the giants. Do either of you believe if the Browns get down, let's say 17 to three at halftime, can they do what these other teams have done? I'd be a little nervous about that scenario, especially just based on, I don't know. I didn't like some of what I saw on Sunday and I'd be a little nervous about what being down, let's say, like I said, 17, three or 20 to six at halftime would do to the psyche of this team. I, I I'm just not sure if I'm convinced they can do part of it is because they don't have Josh Allen and they don't have, you know, they don't have, I guess they have Nick Chubb, you know, I just don't know. I don't know if I see this team coming back from a big deficit, Mary Kay. Yeah, right now I don't. Uh, and that's in large part because of the the passing woes and the passing game and and how I, I see uh, Jacoby kind of struggling. And again, as I mentioned, I think he's vulnerable once they try to hit that explosive play. But again, I mean, the the Ravens secondary is a mess right now. So uh, maybe it maybe it is an opportunity to get them back on track against a secondary like this. Uh, so, you know, it, it's two um, struggling entities clashing on the field on Sunday. Um, it, you know, it could end up being a big game for Amari Cooper. It could be a big David Njoku game. So, you know, I do think there is a world in which they can come back against a really struggling defense. And that's what's happening right now in Baltimore. So I do think it's going to have to uh, be up to Lamar Jackson really beating uh, the Cleveland Browns beleaguered defense right now. It will help them a lot if Jadavian Clowney comes back, if Denzel Ward comes back, if, uh, if some of these guys start to play a lot better than they have. Uh, but if they don't, uh, Lamar can really hurt them. And and if that shoulder holds up for Miles Garrett, it's it's concerning. Yes. He, he'll play, but it was concerning to see him down on the ground a few times on, on Sunday. Um, yes. Ashley, I mean, do you, could this team come back? Do you think they have that in them? I don't know. It makes me nervous, but kind of to go along with Mary Kay's point, they would have to do it in the pass game, basically. And their one hope is not anything about their pass game necessarily. I mean, other than you do have Amari Cooper, um, it's more so with how much of a mess the Ravens defensively might be right now. Um, but the problem is, you know, I talked to Wyatt Teller about this after the game on Sunday when fans are, you know, complaining about Nick Chubb not getting enough carries late in the game. The reality is when there was there was a point in that like third or fourth quarter where they were down by two scores. And at that point, it's like running the ball, like Wyatt Teller said, becomes a luxury. And it was a luxury they couldn't afford because it would have taken too much time off the clock. And they knew they needed a couple of scores to get back into it. So if you're down, like you're saying, you know, two scores, 10 points, 14 points, whatever the case may be against the Ravens, 
Well, then they're probably not going to be looking to their biggest offensive threat, Nick Chubb, at that point. They're going to be trying to pass the ball a lot more. So I I don't know. You know, I think it kind of it, it might be something that's kind of out of their control. And it's going to be like, gee, what do the Ravens look like coming into this game? What's that, what can we take advantage of those mistakes in that secondary? OK, there we go. That's what we're thinking about as Ravens week gets going here uh, on the Orange and Brown Talk podcast. Make sure you're subscribed as uh, we'll have our big preview pod coming up, of course, on Friday, as always. And our postgame pod after that Ravens game, Apple Podcasts and Spotify. Uh, just make sure you subscribe there. And uh, Lance Riceland is coming up after the break. Mary Kay and Ashley, I'll talk to you later. I'm Alex Rodriguez. And I'm Jason Kelly. From Bloomberg, this is The Deal. Each week, you're here in conversation with business icons. This show will explore deal-making across sports, media, and entertainment. That is a harsh lesson in business. Sports is and not uh, as simple you know, I, as bringing a bunch of big names together. I didn't want to do another stomp you out speech. It opened so, up so many you know, more doors. The show is called The, the deal. deal. Listen to The Deal. Listen to The Deal on Spotify. And now we welcome on, as we do every Wednesday, Lance Reisland to look back on the Browns' loss to the Patriots on Sunday. Lance, how are you doing? Good. How are you, Dan? I'm doing well. Uh, all right, let's get to it. This had to be a tough game to really kind of dig through. And let's just start with how the Browns did against the run. They obviously gave up that that one big run play to the, the big touchdown run to Ramondre Stevenson. Other than that, which is always kind of a weird thing to say, but other than that, they did fairly well limiting the damage he did. Um, how did they do it? And kind of what cost did it come at? Well, you know, you watched the game. I watched it a couple of times and I, and I thought they did a really good job. I thought Woods did a really coach Woods did a really good job in terms of missing up the fronts. Um, you thought they would, the DTs and Phillips would need some help. And and I thought the best way to help them would keep them on the move, which they did. Uh, they went to a multiple front uh, odd, even, uh, they even went to a six-man front on the goal line. They went to a six-man front uh, on a couple third downs. Uh, they did a couple run blitzes with uh, Phillips, which I really like because it gets him downhill. Um, he's super aggressive. Every mistake he's making is just aggressive. So uh, it seems like, you know, when he's thinking too much, he, he slows down. But if he can just play, he's really aggressive. Uh, they brought Delp and Johnson down the box. Uh, but when you do that, you play more man coverage. And in, in man coverage, there is a fine line. Uh, if somebody falls, if you have miscommunication, if you have get your head caught uh, in the backfield, uh, and that's what happened on a couple of those things. They had a couple of miscommunications on a couple of roll coverages, and uh, that's what happened. So man coverage, uh, though it's great, and I think uh, the Browns can be good in it, it's very, very uh, – there's a fine line between good in and a home run. So let's talk a little bit about that coverages, that coverage, because there were blown coverages in this game. And you mentioned there were two in there as you were answering that question, I think that you sort of alluded to, and there were two big plays to the tight end, two tight ends. One was to Johnu Smith. Another was to Hunter Henry. Let's start with the Johnu Smith one. When I rewatched it, it felt a little bit like Jeremiah Usukoromoa got sucked in on play action. Uh, after the game, he said that wasn't the case. His eyes were just bad. You know, I don't know, but it seemed like he kind of made the mistake there and Bailey Zappi took advantage of it. What did you see on that play? Well, they were in a three by one with two tight ends and Myers at the one receiver. So Myers goes in motion, which makes it a two by two. So pre-snap, you had Emerson on Myers, you had um, Delpit on Henry, Hunter Henry, and then you had JOK on uh, Johnu Smith. Myers goes in motion, they bump down. So now Delpit bumps back to the safety. Johnson bumped up from the safety to take Myers, who was in motion. And then, of course, 
as Emerson bumps down, JOK has to bump down. So he goes from Hunter Henry to J, uh, to Smith, and he just gets caught either in the transition or with communication. Um, but it was a slow communication. And what, for me, like for me, it's like that's the communication is, issue they had. It was, it was going from three by one to two by two. Uh, he had to bump down. Uh, everybody had it. He did not. And then he got caught with his feet flat and uh, Johnny Smith ran right by him. So, you know, tackling has been a big issue. And, I, you know, I'm always careful about this, you know, because, listen, tackling Johnny Smith is probably really hard. <laughs> but after the catch, we, we see Grant Delpit kind of make a tackle attempt. We see JOK. They kind of run into each other. It just seemed really like sloppy technique. Am, am I seeing that wrong? You know, one, no, one of the things that, that I'm uh, really focused on this week is they just, they're not playing hard enough. And, you know, there's two different types of lazy. And I've heard, I've had some people say, are they, you know, are they lazy or is there, and there's two different types of lazy to me. There's the obvious lazy where you don't work hard. And then there's the lazy where you take the least path of resistance and you do the easy thing. And, you know, th- there's a classic example. There's one that I have on uh, Greedy Williams and coverage on a third and seven uh, in that tackle. The easy thing to do is to launch yourself in there. It's not about being afraid or anything. But you got to go in there. You got to go low. He is big. You got to go low. You got to wrap your. You got to wrap. You got to run your feet. Uh, you got to get him to the ground and prevent that. You know, the bigger, the bigger play. And so for me, that's what it is. They're just not playing hard enough right now. Okay, the other one, and this one involves Grant Delpit too. It was the touchdown pass to Hunter Henry, and uh, Delpit said he slipped. When you kind of rewatch the play, he did slip, but it felt a little bit like it almost felt like he got eaten up a little bit by play action. Like like he kind of bought in that Henry was just trying to block him. He tried to engage him and, and Henry kind of spun him around. Um, but what happened on that play? Well, yeah, third and one, uh, they were in a six man front. So once again, I like that. They, they said, you know what, we're having trouble stopping the run. Let's get some more bodies in there. Let's stop the run. Uh, again, that puts people who aren't used to playing man coverage and man coverage. And uh, you know, we were out there all camp. Uh, they're not a huge, huge man all the time team, especially those safeties. So he gets caught on a pretty good tight end in man coverage. And again, he likes to have his nose in there in the run game. So yeah, I think he does get his nose in there. He likes to hit. He likes to be a part of uh, that eight man box. So yeah. And then his feet are wrong. Um, Technique wise, he's wrong. He's a little bit too far inside. uh, I think, you know, probably for the coach's liking and uh, he fell, he gets his, he gets his feet caught up and and, uh, again, he gets run right by. Right. Uh, he did fall, but a lot of that comes from that technique, correct? That's absolutely. And you got to, yeah. you know, and again, they, when you're in man coverage, when you're in zone coverage, your technique can sometimes be a little off because you're keeping things in front or you have help. If your technique's not good in man, it's a home run. And there is so all that good defense they played to get to third and one, it all goes away because of one fall. And that's the, that's the, uh, that's the dice you roll with man coverage. You have a lot of things that can go wrong with man coverage. Okay. Um, the next talking point you you kind of sent me, and th- this one kind of really hit home with me because it's something I've been thinking about. There was a, a clip going around of a really nice play design that got Anthony Schwartz open on a deep route. Uh, I, and I don't know when the play was. Uh, th- there was no timestamp on it or anything like that. And when you watch it, you think, okay, when Deshaun Watson's the quarterback, he's going to make that throw. And then it's just up to Anthony Schwartz to make the play. Mm-hmm. The, of course, the problem is Deshaun Watson's not the quarterback right now. It's Jacoby Brissett. And there's times when I kind of watch this offense and Jacoby threw the ball deep a lot on Sunday. And Mary Kay has pointed this out. He's, I believe he's tied with Josh Allen right now on the number of deep passes he's thrown this season. Is this offense 
tailored right now to to Jacoby Brissett? Did they get out of that identity a little bit on, on Sunday? Yeah, I think they're. I you know, it's a common term. I, I think they're setting them up for failure. To be honest with you, it's you know they're they're not sticking to their identity. Uh, they're a physical team. Um, their money is in their line. They got the best backs, the best duo in the league. Um, you can argue that Chubb is a top, you know, top five player. Uh, we said that last week. Um, you know, then people complain he's got a, you know, you he has limitations. There's a reason he is a backup. And you know, I looked at some of the numbers and I uh, just went through the league and guys like Burrow threw it seventy times. Um, up there, threw it thirty-seven times. Allen threw it forty. Mahomes um, forty. Rogers forty-one. Uh, Lamar Jackson thirty-two. Brady forty. Stafford thirty-three. So. He's up there with these, you know, the people we always talk about in terms of being elite. And I'm not sure if he's that guy. So I'm not sure why he is throwing the ball 45 times. I'm not sure you're setting him up for failure in terms of he has limitations. His success comes from the run game. His success comes from the people around him. You know, it's where the Browns are not super loaded at receiver. You know, that's it's kind of for me, you know, I was watching the game and you constantly hear that criticism. I'm not sure if it's granted. You're getting what you what you signed up for in terms of Brissett. He's going to make some plays, but you got to you got to have the uh, horses around him for sure. Yeah, and and you look at some of the performances around the league on Sunday. Um, I was just looking, you know, with the Jets, Zach Wilson threw the ball 18 times and they won mm-hmm. that game. Um, you know, a different scenario. The Giants were down ten. The Giants came back from ten points down. Daniel Jones only ended up throwing the ball 27 times in in that game against the Ravens. We're seeing teams win football games with, you know, leaning on their run game or minimizing their quarterback. They're not getting huge passing yardage out of these guys. Now, over the course of 17 weeks and and when all is said and done, we very well might be sitting there at the end of the year and saying, yeah, the the teams with the best quarterbacks ended up winning the most and, and going the deepest. But on a week to week basis, you do see these instances where, you know, a, a guy throws the ball 20 times for 150 yards and his team still finds a way to win. Yeah. And it's once again, it's playing to the it's playing to the strengths. It's playing to I thought you made a great point a couple a uh, couple weeks ago in terms of where the money is. Well, their money's in their own line. Their money's in their backfield. And they have to I believe they have to get those guys uh, involved more. And limit, you know, the, my complaint wouldn't be uh, Brissett making that throw. I saw the same one, uh, you know, with Schwartz one running wide open. My my complaint would be, why is he throwing it 45 times? And so you have these other teams that are relying on the run game. Brown's run game is better. You can uh, Brown's run game is everybody, everybody, everybody's talking about. The Brown's run game is better. So um, that would be my question. And that would be my concern is, are you asking too much from a guy who, um, doesn't have that pedigree, has not done that, and probably won't do that. But he can do a lot of good things if you run the ball, shorten the game, uh, you know, do things that that he's capable of doing. Okay, uh, last thing here. So, uh, it's been a theme of, of these segments here over the last couple of weeks, players over plays. Uh, and, th- and this sort of goes with what, what we were talking about. Nick Chubb, just 12 carries on Sunday. What was Kareem Hunt at? Five, I, I, I believe it was. I can't yeah. look that up here. So not a lot of leaning on the run game. They did fall behind, but I think that's a little bit disingenuous of an excuse. I mean, they weren't getting blown out for much of that game. Uh, It was 532 in the third quarter is when New England went up 24-6. So for a lot of that game, you know, 17-6 early in the third quarter, there's still time to run the football in that situation. 
but again, you know, it, it's been a theme here, players over plays. Yeah, you know, first and foremost, Nick Chubb carrying the ball 12 times, it's to me is unexcusable. And he is a guy that has to touch the ball, and it takes you into that. Um, I, I watched a bunch. Of, they only had 18 rushes as a team. Uh, again, are you asking too much of your quarterback? And I had an example of how I thought they could uh, players over plays. It was in the um, end of the first half when uh, K. Dior kicked the field goal. So they go first and 10. They get a nine-yard run from Hunt. Um, and then they go pass-pass. So my first thing is, again, a, a crucial situation, and your best football player is not on the field. So I fully agree with the uh, Hunt's a good, really good player, um, but you'd be hard-pressed to find another team in the league in a thir- in a end of uh, half, end of game, crucial situation where their best player is not on the field. And the Browns consistently don't have Nick Chubb on the field in their most important plays. So let's say they don't have a mismanagement of the clock and you get, you know, you get second and one. They have all three timeouts. There's two, uh, there, for me, there's two obvious uh, run plays where you can get the ball to Chubb and use a timeout if you need it. Um, if you're playing on a field goal anyway, why are you, I, I feel that he there there's an opportunity in terms of players over plays just give him the ball. You know, he he only had 12 carries. He still averaged 4.7 yards per. So he still had – he's still getting almost five yards to rush, even though they did shut him down. He wasn't getting those gaping runs because uh, they did such a good job of two-gapping him. But he was still getting 4.7 per. So I still think that wasn't there's, – there's a – for me, there's a great opportunity for the players over plays. Just give that give that guy the ball see what he can do for you. And I, and I just feel like, you know, again, with kind of like with Ramondre – he eventually found one, right? Mm-hmm. They event, the Browns eventually made some mistakes and he found one. And I just feel like Nick Chubb is that type of back. Like I understand if you don't want to just run the ball over and over and over again into, into what the Patriots were doing, but you've got to at least give Nick Chubb a chance to try and break one because that that's still your best big play opportunity. I think, you know, I think, I, I think I saw a word nine of his 12 runs were on first down. So there's a classic example of I me. Mean, it's not first down. There, like you're saying, there's one where you could pop one. Second one, you're thinking you're, as a whole, the defense is thinking pass. Uh, the general concept is we're going to pass there. Clock is short. Um, you need first downs. You're trying to get, you know, you're, you're trying to make sure that you're safe with the ball because you need three, et cetera. All those, all those situational stuff that we all go over. There's a classic case where he can pop one. There's a classic case you run the counter, you run the power, uh, and he might pop one for sure. Okay. Uh, Lance Reisling, good stuff as always. Thanks for the time. Hey, thanks for having me as always, Dan. Why take one vacation with the family when you could take all of them? With Royal Caribbean, you don't just go to the beach. You visit a private island and race down the tallest water slide in North America. You don't just go for a road trip. You ATV and zip line through the jungle. You don't just go somewhere new. You rappel down waterfalls and discover ancient temples. Because this isn't just any vacation. This is all the vacations. Come seek the Royal Caribbean. Ships Registry, Bahamas. All right, it's time before we go for my weekly NFL playoff committee of one. Quick refresher. This is just my college football playoff style rankings of the AFC and NFC playoff picture. The only rule, I have to pick one team from each division. I do not have to rank the division winners ahead of the wild cards, though. So I'm going to give you one through seven and then the first team out in each conference number one in the afc is buffalo a defining win over kansas city means we have a clear number one in the afc maybe the entire league this is a team who is also first in both offensive and defensive dvoa number two is still kansas city 
no one really took advantage of the Chiefs losing in these rankings. And I think they're still the second best team in the AFC. I think it's clear. Number three, moving up two spots, the Cincinnati Bengals. I don't know. I just can't quit them. They tried like crazy to fall out of the rankings, but they escaped New Orleans with a win. And I still feel like this team at some point is going to break through. So I'm still way too high on them. They're number three. Number four, Tennessee. Jacksonville lost a really bad game, and it's just making Tennessee look more secure even without playing. At number five, how about the New York Jets? Unranked, welcome to the party. Winning matters. It's what they're doing. They're four and two, so they're my number five team. Number six, the LA Chargers. After that Monday night win over Denver, they're up a spot. It was an uninspiring win. This is a really hard team to figure out, but they're number six this week. And number seven, despite losing Miami at three and three, number f- they were number four last week. The second highest strength of victory in the AFC, still sixth in offensive DVOA. And two is coming back, so they have a chance to get back on track. My first team out, the Baltimore Ravens, previously number three. Stop blowing double-digit leads, guys, and you'll get back in these playoff rankings. But right now, you just don't deserve to be in there. Over to the NFC and easy number one, Philadelphia. They just keep on winning. They're number two in DVOA. The schedule is going to help them. They're 6-0. and Who knows when this team is going to lose for the first time. I'm going to keep Dallas at number two. Again, for some of the same reasons in the AFC, nobody really grabbed the number one spot. Or I'm sorry, nobody really grabbed this spot from them last week. So they remain number two, I should say. They're four and two. I'm not punishing them for that loss to the Eagles. Uh, Dak Prescott's on the way back, so they get a little bit of an upside nod here as well. Number three, the New York Giants. They're five and one, a slightly better strength of victory than Minnesota. So they get the edge here. Minnesota five and one also is number four. They got a nice road win. They roll into their bye with Arizona and Washington on the other side before they have to face the Buffalo Bills. So Minnesota could find themselves in very good shape. At number five, it's the Atlanta Falcons. They're number seven in offensive DVOA. They have some head-to-head losses to some teams here that are uh, coming up behind them. We're going to ignore that for now. I just think they deserve to be here. They're playing really good football. There's a mishmash of three and three teams, like the LA Rams, who are number six, I guess. Uh, They're coming off a win. It was against the Panthers, so I guess we're going to put them at six. And then San Francisco, I suppose, at number seven. They lost to the Falcons. I put just ranked the Falcons. I can't call that a bad loss necessarily. So I guess welcome to the club of teams that have lost to the Falcons. Tampa Bay then becomes my first team out. They feel like a mess, but they're also tied for the second highest strength of victory in the NFC. And their defense is still fourth in DVOA. I just keep an eye on Tampa Bay because really what matters for them is can they stay in the hunt until Thanksgiving? And if they're in the hunt at Thanksgiving, which they should be in this NFC, they can get dangerous. All right, there we go. My NFL playoff committee of one rankings. Uh, make sure you're a football insider subscriber, cleveland.com slash Browns, the blue banner at the top of the page to get that newsletter delivered to your inbox every day, get access to exclusive stories on cleveland.com slash Browns. And of course, become one of our text subscribers. Thanks to Ashley and Mary Kay earlier. Thanks to Lance Reisland for joining me to talk about the loss to the Patriots. Again, I'm Dan Lobby. Thanks for listening, everybody.